and welcome to Alien Minute, the daily podcast where we carefully dissect the movie Alien one minute at a time. I'm John Ingle. And I'm Mitch Bryan, and today we're looking at Minute 110, which begins with sealing the space helmet and ends with Ripley breaking into song. Well, not maybe breaking into <laughs> song. But. And we're joined once again by uh, critic and writer John Nickham. Welcome back. Awesome to be here. I'm loving this. How about that space? Space helmet. Well, yeah, we talked about it. I brought it up in the last minute, but uh, saving a little information for this minute. So, yeah, that wonderful design around the visor. I mean, what do we make of that? So complicated, too. It's very complicated. It's very just ornate, right? It couldn't possibly have any purpose why it would have this sort of hieroglyphic design around it. Well, like those weird buttons in the self-destruct mechanism yeah. with the prana lift and all that stuff. Those are pretty weird, too. So. Yeah. Well, like I said, the helmet was designed by Moebius, and uh, one fun little fact that I found about it, a couple of fun facts I found out about it, was that um, all that detailing around it, it was just a regular old white flat helmet, and they did all this detailing around it, and it was a kit, another bit of kit bashing done, um, and it was technically, it was literally taken, all those details were taken from the, uh, the Hawk, a model of the Hawk from Space 1999, the Gary Anderson show, which was also detailed by the same guy who detailed this helmet. So it was apparently a little inside joke that he would take, took a model of something that he helped Already you know, did. D- do and put it on this helmet. But I thought that was interesting. We'll get back to talking about kit bashing like we did with Katie and Margaret weeks ago. Um, and I, I figured that our uh, one of our great contributors on our Facebook listener page, Eric Moore, would probably appreciate us bringing that up and probably undoubtedly has considerably more information about it than we just Yeah, gave. he probably knows exactly what all of the details on the, <laughs> put, on the um, helmet are. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and the other thing I wanted to point out was when I was researching this helmet, uh, it was just a funny bit. I went on Xenopedia, the wiki page, one of the alien wiki pages, and it had a line of specs for the helmet. And the first line was um, the visor of the MK-50, which is apparently what the helmet or the compressor suit is called, is non-resistant to face huggers. Just so you know, it will <laughs> quick. They will quickly melt through the visor and attach to the wearer's face. So apparently, that's a warning. Like something in the uh, in the. Well, uh, we know that because of Kane, right? He was yes, wearing the same I, helmet, basically. Unless they, I, unless they knew that before Kane, yeah. and he just didn't read the fine print. Yeah, I don't know right. which uh, happened first, but anyway, just a funny nerdy. <laughs> It's probably on a tag on the back. Yeah. Yeah. Next and they removed it. it. Do not remove and somebody yeah, exactly. pulled the tag Oh, this off. thing's itching the back of my neck. Let's get this off here. You know, what, one thing, um, having seen the movie back before uh, everybody had seen it in regards to, you know, now you look at it in retrospect, you don't understand what it was like culturally at the time and how different it was. And I remember one of the things that stuck out was – the the spacesuits look different. Why? Because most spacesuits at that point, the helmet was contained, so it was just the face would be seen. And this was the first one that I'd ever seen in any movie that felt like it had a 360 view where you could mm-hmm. look all the way around and how unusual that was at the time. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we should talk about what Ripley does after we go from this closer shot of the helmet, right? We yep. go back to another... Somewhat complimentary shot, similar to the low angle. The camera's a little uh, higher up. Mm-hmm. And she reaches for this thing, this weapon, right? Yeah, the the harpoon gun. Now, why is there a harpoon gun in the narcissist? I have a theory. The fact that there's no weapons on board, I think, would strike people odd. 
because especially after seeing Aliens, where it's nothing but walking arsenals, but this is such a company thing. It's all about the company. And it's like an insurance thing. You you don't want to get a bunch of truckers in space who've got guns or any kind of weapon. That's why there's literally nothing you can kill anything with on that. You, you have to rig up a flamethrower. You have to have a tech guy do it. And this grappling... got to roll up a magazine. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and so this is clearly there for climbing. It's not meant to kill anybody. Uh, and that's what it's there for. Well, this brings us back to one of the great questions of the movie. If you go all the way back to when they were going to explore the planet, there's a throwaway line, it seemingly. it's We don't see Dallas say it. He says, break out the weapons. He says it. Now, we know... That in director's, I don't even think it's in the director's cut, but there are scenes, cut scenes where Kane wields a pistol as he looks into the egg. Mm -hmm. There are other scenes. All of the promotional material is full of them holding guns and action movie stances and so on. So it brings us back to, I love your theory. Why is that line still in the movie? It's like we're back to like minute... 19 or whatever, but it still so bothers me. it was in the me. movie, not in the script. It was in the movie, it's yes. The movie. Says, and yet break there out are the no weapons. And yet we never and see them. And then you wonder if it's an offhand, like, what does weapons mean? Right. You mm -hmm. know, what does weapons in the future mean? It's funny because I, I wrote a movie called Paint Shaker, which is based on the entire concept of the fact that there's a throwaway shot in The Wizard of Oz in which the scarecrow holds a revolver. Mm-hmm. And it's in the haunted forest, and the uh, let's see, the lion has the butter, the pesticides sprayer, and the gnat, and all, and and he's got a silver revolver, and it's the weirdest thing because there's no weapons in that whole damn movie except for that one shot, and people are like, no, no, you you've missed it, and it's like, no. Watch the movie. So again. the shot is in, still in the film. It's still in wow. the film. It's, is, that and, the, is that the same shot where Buddy Ebsen is hanging from a tree in the background? Uh, or am no, I mixing up my? You're mixing that up. <laughs> you're mixing. Look it up. It's <laughs> on every kidding. version, the TV version. He's really? got a gun. Wow. And so the whole the, the movie Paint Shaker starts off with a monologue about the first line is the scarecrow's got a gun, hmm. and it talks about that. Huh. Where's the part he says break out the weapons? It's when they're. We I could tell you exactly what the shot is. Lambert. Has, is in the foreground while they're all talking about going out on the planet. She's just been told, Lambert's here with us. And she's like, yeah, no kidding. Obviously, I'll have mm -hmm. to come with you. And she's about to stand up. And you hear Dallas say, break out the weapons. See him. Well, but it's so much better to, without them. You'd yeah. almost have to guess it was yeah. an 80 yard line, though. It was off screen. It's like, it doesn't yeah. make any sense why they kept it in. It's, I guess it's going to be one of the great mysteries, the Scarecrow's Pistol of uh -huh. Alien. Well, the, this weapon this this grappling hook that she that she grappling gun that she takes out but it reminded me of a mooring gun which is um you find on cargo ships right and they i guess they you know they fire it towards the deck or towards the mm -hmm. land and then it's you know it sticks in or, or and then they can then they can moor the ship to mm -hmm. the docks so they aim it at the docks my batman episode i finally got to use one in a script and batman shoots bane with one i can imagine a spacewalk or something and you need to affix yourself to something on the side of the nostromo i mean the big the big uh, mm -hmm. refinery or something maybe and pull yourself in i don't know let's take a guess too that we talked way back again when they were um, exploring the derelict ship we talked about how they thankfully cut 
any of the business about how they uh, repelled down the walls and so on about setting up a tripod. And mm-hmm. I'm going to guess that there we might have seen one of these earlier. Had if this movie were made today, we definitely would have gotten that yeah. shot. We would have gotten a insert shot of somebody holding up that grappling gun and shooting it. I know, it, I know. Right, and then we would have this would have been the callback to mm-hmm. it. But um, thank God we didn't. Yeah, see it. This, this is. It's I so mean, I like callbacks, this but this isn't would have been completely heavy handed. We should mention also that it isn't until this film version that this harpoon gun appears. Uh, the scripts all had her with a spear, just a metal rod with a sharp end on it. So this is an innovation, another Ridley Scott change in the last minute. When you listen to him on the commentary, he's like, I don't care why it's there, but I'll give a couple of explanations and mm-hmm. get past this. It's interesting in the script, though. Uh, one thing I want to bring up as far as a change that was made and what could have been the alien is very active outside of, of the closet that she's in, as opposed to just laying dormant. We talked about that a little bit in the last minute where uh, it's slapping Jones around and so on. And then it ends up right outside of her door. So she's basically like, well, it's do or die. I'm going to have to open this door and attack. And that's what happens. It's not as suspenseful at all. Mm-hmm. She doesn't walk in. She doesn't strap herself down. She jabs it. Right. So then it's a quick, you have to get that airlock opened and it's literally like the acid blood starts to come out and she hits that button before it can hit the ground and the airlock sucks the acid blood out. I find that kind of interesting, actually. Mm-hmm. I, For one reason, I love that they bring back the acid blood, which is one of the great threats of the movie. Mm-hmm. And the fact that you know, unlike the Nostromo that had a few decks of leeway, the narcissist would have been fucked. Right. There's no way it would have survived an acid blood of any like spill, especially at the level you could imagine if she's jabbing it. But I think that the reason I think that it didn't work out might have been simply, it would have been really hard in 1979 to shoot that, I think. Also, isn't it disappointing that this thing that's seemingly indestructible, that you could take a spear and, you know, hit something right through it? I mean, here's a girl with a spear that's yeah. going to kill this thing. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's it's better when it's like a, a, a weapony thing. You know? And she has to well, open the door to confront it. She mm-hmm. can't jam the spear yeah, through she, the door or something. It takes. It's more than just brute force she has to use to dispatch of this alien in the, in the final product that we get. And I like that better. I, I just kind of like that acid blood moment. That would have been nice. And you would have definitely gotten that now. Easy enough mm-hmm. to do now. I, I thought that was an interesting choice to change that and take it to what we have, which is now, I think, way more tense. I mean, I... Yeah. If it was just open in the door, I kind of picture the blue velvet moment where mm-hmm. uh, he opens the door and shoots Frank Booth in the head. You know, that was great. But in this case, I think it would have been a little underwhelming. Uh, we need this this last bit, especially with this languid alien, this napping alien, as we suggested in the last minute, kind of slowly crawling out of there and her strapping herself in. All that is so tense that I think I love the what we get here with the final version. I do sure. love this dead on shot of her face. Oh, I do too. Really great close up with the helmet on and then cutting to that complimentary angle, which is although not seen through the visor of the helmet. And we've had shots like that pretty much a direct point of view shot. Mm-hmm. I think of where the alien is and she, she knows we know. And now it's really up to her making this move to try to come out of that closet and, and uh, we still don't know what she's going to do, though. Mm-hmm. Right. Which is another kind of, I kind of love that. I well, love that. It's there's... because her original plan is not to open the airlock, it's to lower the temperature and freeze the creature. I mean, that's uh, what well, according she's... to the to the novelization. Well, I mean, that's that's what she does first. Is she lowers all the the they hits them with the yeah. the cold, 
trying to see if that will kill the creature and when it doesn't work she panics and oh hits the i airlock. thought she That's was trying to get him out uh-uh. so that then she could hit the she airlock did. she had no intention you know, of hitting the for airlock all these years yeah. i didn't realize that that's I, interesting because it, clearly in the script her intention is that's the plan is mm-hmm. to get that thing out of the way and hit the airlock so i always i always was with you mitch i think i always thought that was to get it out of there that's why she freaks out when it doesn't work and that's why she's turning her back because she's hoping it's going to freeze this thing to death but of course it's the alien it's impervious Hmm. to this see i always thought she just freaked out because it was an alien that started moving like it's sort of like if you went and prodded a tiger even though if you had a whole plane in place you would still go because "Ah," otherwise why not just, just hit the airlock Right. I mean, it's going to suck it out anyway, right? Unless you're strapped Maybe. in. Well, I don't of, know. It's, it's kind of pretty wedged in there. In there. Yeah. I always figured she'd have to. But this is great because this no, is going to allow good. me to look at the minutes differently as we go into the to the last, you know, well, last couple of minutes. I'm sure of we'll movie. get some inf- interesting feedback. I'm sure everybody's had their own idea about what's going on here. Have you been told you're absolutely dead wrong about certain parts? Not really. No. I mean, there's been people that have had their own ideas. We but... have a very polite listening page you know yeah. everybody's really enjoying this volleying back of theories and ideas is that and because they're mostly british and they're actually civilized it's probably true possibly yeah. that could be it yeah. Yeah. yeah so i don't know yeah i can't remember any time where there was any big argument or anything uh i half expected i can't believe nobody's told us we just flat out suck yet and i was really expecting that at some point not that i actually think we suck i just assume that it always happens online doesn't somebody it? says that right i've never i've never gotten a twitter no, even a tweet saying I think that we suck great about this movie and why this conversation continues to grow is because of all of these blind spots these things that are made more obscure by removing certain details and mm-hmm. and so for me it's more fun I think it's interesting that you read the novelization before you saw the movie. I think that probably locked some things into place pretty pretty clearly for you. Yeah, and I haven't reread it since the early 80s. Yeah, but it was just but part it's of... But still in my... Yeah. And I still remember specific... I'll tell you what I really remember is there's a much longer conversation with, with the disembodied head of Ash about trying to contract the creature um, that really brings up some stuff. And they seem to think that Ash has been actively trying to contact the creature and they've had conversations that yeah that's there's a lot cool. there's a lot more ash exposition in mm-hmm. the book for sure it's and in some of the uh drafts Scripts of the scripts too, yeah. too but uh most of it honestly it's good in the book it's glad it's not in the movie mm-hmm. i mean it's one of the, it was really good to not go that deep talking about why didn't you see the chestburster on the you know, X-ray or whatever the MRI. Which he clearly did. Obviously, he must have. Yes. Did we need that conversation in the movie? I, I think that would have. You would. They would have been showing their cards a little too much. I exactly. think that's part of why almost all of that ended up getting cut. If you're reading the book, uh, I wish I could have read the book without having seen the movie, so I'd know for sure. But I'm going to suspect that you know Ash as an alien, pretty or as a as a villain, pretty early on. It seems pretty obvious. You may not know he's as a I've robot, but you know it. he's a turncoat. Yeah, you know he's not to be trusted. I mean, we get hints of that, but the idea of the movie is supposed to make you think, maybe not. Maybe he's okay. Maybe he's okay. So it's kind of a surprise, at least, when he finally turns completely. But the book wasn't... It's pretty laid out as the book progresses, as I've been reading it. Have you all talked about the, the other thing, having seen this prior to it becoming a big deal, was... No one knows who the hero of this movie is until the final right. third. Lots you, of times, yeah. yeah. you assume it's Dallas. Yeah. And, and, and Ripley's almost set up as the villain because it, it sets you apart from who you think is going to be the hero in this. Yeah. And also the fact that she, in many ways, was the 
least recognizable person in the cast. And to, so to go with, it's just, it's, it's, it's just the, so it's different. It's the inverse of Psycho. You know, it's the great misdirect of killing Absolutely. off Janet Lee. And I, and I equate it to Psycho all the time yeah. because I think they're, they're both very deliberate in uh, approaching audiences' expectations for this particular genre and how do we upend that. Yeah, I totally agree. Uh, speaking of other genres, I do want to point out this wide shot when she does emerge from mm. the closet. It just always reminds me of this shot in 2001 where they're in the pod bay mm-hmm. and Dave and uh, Frank come in and there's like a pod in the foreground. But it's the same. It looks like it's the same lens. It's about the same spatial distance from us to the back of the ship. Um, she goes from being in a full shot, full head to toe, and then just with only three or four steps as she comes in, you know, she thinks it gets into the chair. I don't know. There's something about it that is one more of those kind of echoes of 2001 that haunts this movie. Well, as she walks into this 2001 shot, being as terrified as she is, she breaks into glorious song. Well, that's not really what she does. She kind of starts to whisper a soothing melody to herself in order to calm herself down. And it's uh, the song, You Are My Lucky Star, known to me mainly from Singing in the Rain, but uh, apparently written originally for the movie Broadway Melodies of 1936, from the time when they named movies after the after year they the came year. out, which yeah. is great, I think. We should go back to that. Really? Um, yeah, we should. should be Avengers 4 of 2019. Yeah. should be the name. Exactly. <laughs> Do most people of... even notice that she says that? Because I think it's I, a very obscure detail. It is, and I didn't know. I honestly, until I started watching it minute by minute, I always just thought she was, I thought when she walked in, when she started saying, you are, she was like saying, oh God, oh God, or something like that. I had like a that. shirt from the studio, a studio made t-shirt that I was given in, well, I guess it was given in 80, the year after the movie came out. And it had, you are my lucky star on the front it had in tiny and small letters. And then on the back across it, it said alien. So that led me to believe that maybe there was some marketing strategy at some point where they thought this was going to somehow figure in to their campaign. Maybe they were originally going to, um, that was going to be the music over the credits. <laughs> yeah, like, maybe. Oh, That's possible. They couldn't or, get the right. Or, yeah. or maybe she was going to sing it louder and then Ridley Scott had the presence of mind to say, say yeah, yeah, don't do that. Don't no, do no, that. darling. Turn, Just be scared. Just be notch. afraid. But yeah. it's kind of like Daisy in, in yeah. uh, 2001. That's, yeah. that's yeah. funny because yeah. now that you say that, I bet you that's exactly what they were thinking. I mean, not it weirdly correlates with the fact that this is a shot from 2001 or very similar, but I bet you anything that's what they were thinking, that there was going to be this little melody. Anachronistic song that was yeah. going to be used in the future. Here, yeah. Here's a question because I don't know the answer. Uh, were those written by the same person? I don't know who wrote Daisy, but Daisy's a much older it's song. It's a really it's old, nineteen, yeah, it's early nineteen hundreds. Yeah. Because I did forget that it is uh, Nasio Herb Brown and Arthur Freed were the writers of "You Are My Lucky Star." I forgot to give song credit. Okay. Well we done. Would have gotten sued. That's good. Um, yeah. Well, uh, to me, it's just good to know that in the year twenty one, twenty two, or whenever this is supposed to take place, they're still watching "Singing in the Rain." Yeah. Or Broadway Melody of 1936. Oh, yeah, it could be that, couldn't it? Turner Turner Classic Movies. Brett loves that movie. Turner Classic (laughs) Movies is still alive and well in some sort of holographic form. If they remade this movie now, would they use Madonna's version, Lucky Star? Oh, that would be fine. Because that would be terrible. They probably would. I'd be okay with it. I'm a big Madonna fan, so. We learn more about John Engel every minute. <laughs> well, just that. I didn't know, know you're a big Madonna fan. Before that proper don't preach phase, you know. Yeah, right. Um, <laughs> well, that's all I have. Do you have anything else, John? Any pat- final thoughts or? There's 
a reason this movie resonates. And when you start analyzing it scene by scene, I think it kind of points that out. Um, clearly, great attention to detail was put into every single minute of this of this movie, whether it's just designing a space helmet, uh, getting the perfect shot, the perfect music cue, perfect edit. There's something about this movie that just that's right up there with the greats because of the the director's hand i guess this director cared and was, and i think this director knew he was making something of lasting value and wasn't just trying to put together a hit that's a last thought here here that's a good thought to end yeah. on well and one, it's the end of the week isn't it? it it is it's the end of the week the end of our second to the last week of the show so well, big finish. Buckle up. Big finish next yeah. week. Call yeah. me back when you're doing Alien versus Predator, and oh. we'll be excited to do this again. Might call <laughs> you back for Aliens. We don't want to skip over all the... <laughs> well, why don't you tell everyone where they can find you on the internet again? I am at kcstar.com, or you can go to my uh, website uh, that's based on my book, uh, worstgig.com. And would you tell us what Worst Gig? Because you, you guys got to hear about this. Oh, yeah. The Worst Gig is a book I wrote uh, in which I put together 13 years of interviews I've done with famous musicians. And I asked them to tell me the worst show they ever played. And it's their stories. Nice. Wow. I've never heard of it. I'll have to check it out. I'm very proud of it. It's fun. It sounds great. Uh, you can find us, of course, at AlienMinute.com. Follow us on Twitter at AlienMinutePod or on Instagram at AlienMinutePodcast. Uh, also, come over to our Facebook page and let us know what you think of, of Harpoon Guns and whatnot. And uh, we'll see you next week for Minute Number 111.